am Memphis, and welcome to Storyboard 30. This is the show taken right out of the pages of Storyboard Memphis, the nonprofit publication that brings you arts, culture, and community in one place. And this is your host, Mark Fleischer, with you for the next half hour of Storyboard 30. This is the last show we recorded for the year 2020. And though this pandemic year has been difficult for all of us and devastating for way too many people, it has been particularly difficult for children and parents isolated as they have been by the quarantine. My guest today took those challenges and fashioned them into a wonderful children's book that is already touching readers of all ages. To quote from the about the book on the publisher's website, it goes like this. Josephine does everything she can to convince her mom to adopt a puppy, but mom isn't interested. Then the world changes and Josephine and her mom discover something new and amazing about puppies that might change mom's mind. Now, in this most difficult of years, I can't think of a better way to end it than with the joy, faith, and inspiration that comes from this children's book. The book is called Josephine and the Quarantine. The author is Candace Eccles. Candace is a mother of five right here in Midtown Memphis, and full disclosure, has also written for Storyboard Memphis on a few occasions over the last year and a half. So finally, Candace Eccles, welcome to Storyboard 30. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so Candace, let's start by talking about the book a little bit. Obviously, the title itself tells us a little bit about of, of what it's about, mm-hmm. and also tells us a bit of the inspiration behind it, you know. This has been, as we all know, quite a year, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me about your first thoughts behind the the children's book. Where did it Where did it come from? So I have five children, and around about spring break, I guess we were on spring break when we got word they would not be returning to school, and um, we came home, started virtual schooling, and my husband and I were both, you know, all hands on deck because he was home from work. And so I had plenty of companionship in my home. Uh, But there was a day maybe late April, early May that we went um, to Oxford for the day just to hang out. Um, My family has a place there. And I was out for a walk and I was strolling by this house that was pretty close to the, the sidewalk where I was walking. And a dog jumped up in the window and just looked out at me. And I thought to myself, I was by myself and I thought that is the cutest dog I've ever seen. The history is that I am not a dog person. I've never been a dog person. As a child, I was really afraid of dogs for no particular reason. I'm just not a dog person. But that dog just was adorable to me. So I went to the door, knocked on the door, and the owner didn't come to the door. So the next day, I was out again, and I just couldn't stop thinking about this particular dog and how cute this breed was. Went back to the door, and the owner did come to the door that day. I said, what is this breed? This dog is so cute. And she said, it's a mini Bernadoodle, um, which is a Bernese mountain dog uh, and a poodle. So it's one of these doodle breeds, but it's black and white, sort of spotted black and white with a little brown thrown in. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, this dog's name is Sister, which was my name, my nickname growing up in my family. Uh, so immediately I felt like, you know, really Sister should be my dog. But I went home and immediately started calling breeders nationwide talking to my husband he's a huge dog person so he was like okay that sounds good to me um and I had to call 25 breeders nationwide to find this dog and it was in that moment that I realized what is going on something is going on in the human psyche involving uh, isolation quarantine COVID all of this and this desire for animals and this desire to have 
puppies in our lives. And um, I was sort of just talking with some friends about it one day. And one of my friends is a writer friend. And she said, you should write something about that. And um, so I was uh, back in Oxford a different weekend and, and a couple months had gone by. And I was just sitting on the square on a bench by myself, having some downtime to myself, got out a pen and a paper and started just sort of, I thought something playful would be fun. So I thought I'll just write a little poem about how maybe there is this sort of this little hole in our hearts where uh, we need to be comforted in times of loneliness. And maybe this is sort of like a secret door, a way that God himself reveals, reveals himself to us through puppies. And maybe all of humanity is seeking companionship through puppies because really they're seeking something more than that. And so um, I have the book here. Mm -hmm. um, this is it. And, and um, I can tell you, interesting point, front cover, you'll see Josephine is in black and white and the puppy is in sort of a rainbow situation. Uh -huh. By the time she um, gets the puppy, she is in color as well. So over the course of the book, um, and maybe I'm jumping ahead, by the way, in case you're wondering, this is what a mini Bernadoodle looks like. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but the book starts in black and white. And by the end, color is infused more and more in the illustrations. And then by the end, it's in color. Oh, very nice. Very yeah. nice. So later in the show, I'm going to ask you to read a little bit from it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to. Yeah. Uh, so, so it started out as, you know, you know, a little, you know, a little bit of writing. Um, when did you realize you had the seeds for a, an actual children's book? Well, um, that very day I texted what I had written to a couple of friends, like my sister-in-law, of course, my husband, you know, just a couple of people and said, this is sort of fun. Isn't it sort of fun? And they all were like, it's really fun. And um, I said to my husband, you know, I, let me say this. Years ago, I was a first grade teacher. And again, I have five children. So I am very plugged into the children's book world. Um, and I said to him, I think this could be a children's book. And um, I said, you know, if I'm ever going to write one, this might be it. And so um, I actually was taking our, our dog once he arrived to the vet for his shots. And in the waiting room, there's a beautiful piece of artwork on the wall. I asked the vet, what's the story with this artwork? I mean, it's, it's strikingly beautiful. And he said, it's one of our uh, patient's owners. And, here, and he put me in touch with her. I contacted her, lo and behold, we went to the same high school. And she, I said, you know, do you have any desire to illustrate a children's book? And she was like, totally. I, she is really, truly the biggest dog fan that I've ever met. So she illustrated it for me. And it was at that point that I, I started, well, it's a magical thing to write words on a piece of paper and have an artist come and bring them to life into art. That is something yeah. that I think every human being should do at some point, whether you're a writer or not, but to write your thoughts down on a piece of paper and have someone who's well acquainted with color and structure and design and all that, bring it to life into artwork is really powerful. And so just that process alone was very life-giving for me, um, mm -hmm. walking through that with her. But then once we had it all down, I said to my husband, this is legit. Like, I think we could publish this. So that's kind of, um, it was at that point. Yeah. And, and again, you, you know, being the mother of five and being, as, as you said, plugged into the children's book world. Um, I've been there myself years ago. Um, it's, um, yeah, you, you can see where, you could easily see where your story fits in. In other words, 
it's all this story's been done. You know, a story about a puppy's been done. You know, um, don't let the pigeon feed the puppy or pet the puppy or one of one oh, of those yeah. pigeon books. You uh -huh. know, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. There, so, but but the beauty of it is that you know, no, having having that knowledge of the of the children's book world, you know, uh, being a parent, you can see this fits right in. I think this is going to be something that people would enjoy, right? Mm -hmm. Be inspired by, put a smile on their face, all those things, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now. Candice, you are not a published writer. We should talk about that. Or, yeah. or prior to this book, you weren't a published writer. Um, uh, I'm going to put a little feather in storyboards cap for a second and, and say that you went to a, a, a workshop that we put on uh, summer of 2019, which feels like ancient history now. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm very proud to say that one of our workshop writers um, has... Um, ended up, you know, publishing a, a book of her own, which was very proud to say that. Um, but uh, I'll say this too, when you came into the workshop, um, you already had a taste and a flair and a style for writing. You already had some of the writerly muscles in place. I'll put it that way. Um, but let's take us, take us back even further. When did you, when do you feel like you started really writing you mentioned a journal before we started the show but when do you feel like you really started the writing process well i think i've always loved words and i will say when i was seven years old i wrote what would I, what i would call my first book which involved duct tape and uh you know cardboard and that sort of thing my mom did the illustrations and i'm embarrassed to tell you what it was called it probably reveals a lot about my personality but it was called how to write a dissatisfied customer letter. That is <laughs> horrible for a seven-year-old to be writing that. Um, but it kind of reveals like, you know, most days I wake up, glasses half empty. I have to fight sometimes for joy and that sort of thing. Um, but anyway, um, I think that I've always had a love for words, but um, journals, I probably have, I don't know, 50 journals that I, I you know, when I was probably in middle school, I started journaling. And um, some journals to me are just getting my thoughts out on paper so they can get out of here and, and sort of uh, manifest themselves somewhere outside of my head. But then a lot of my journals are prayers. And it's, it's just this conversation with God that I'm having all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I work out a lot of life through journaling, really. Um, and I have a countless. But you know what's funny? I've never once gone back and read any of them. Um, and I, I, I think probably someday I will, but it's just, it, for me, it's not even about uh, keeping a record of what's happened in my life, or it's not about learning necessarily from them. It's just about processing life on the page. Mm -hmm. You know, I will tell you, as far as a journal goes, I've never really, really been one to keep a journal. You know, I, I haphazardly I did, you know, when I was younger. Um, it's very difficult to look back <laughs> at things that you've written in a journal. You know, it's not a story. Yeah. It's not, for, you know, it's not something you've written for publication for someone to read. It's a journal. It's your thoughts. They can be difficult to, to look back on. Yeah. Um, but your seven-year-old book, the one you did, <laughs> I think, yeah. I think that's worth publishing. You know, a guide to, <laughs> to writing customer dissatisfaction letters. Yes, I think that's awful? great. <laughs> that that might even be worth re revisiting. Do you still do you still have that? 
in your possession? My parents might. I don't know. I hope they don't, honestly, but they might. That's funny. Um, so you talk about um, the the practice of you know taking your thoughts your thoughts you know in your head and then putting them on paper. Um, for those you know those out there who are struggling with writing, you know that practice alone, journaling, is so important. It, it is you know there's as we were talking about before we started recording the show today that for many there is kind of a a block between thoughts and organizing those thoughts and putting them on paper or, or in, in this case on a, on a keyboard or whatever you know mm-hmm. um but there's something physiological about this so journaling for you you know was definitely a step in that direction so i talked to young writers or even writers that are new to the craft who are you know in their 30s, their 40s, even into their 50s. And for some, it is very challenging to say, to use the words, I'm a writer, mm. right? When do you feel like you took that step? Because that's a that's a big step for a writer to say, you know what, I'm a writer. Hmm. I'm not sure that I have. Um, I think I'm just still putting my thoughts down on paper like a journal and then letting other people read with them and sort of uh, you know, peek into the window of my own brain. Uh, yeah. So I'm not 100% sure that I have, but I do think it's different to say I'm a writer and I'm an author. So, you know, a journaler could easily be a writer. Um, and what what determines an author, um, you know, are other people reading your writing? Are they, you know, is it on a shelf somewhere? Is it on a website somewhere? What, you know, uh, where does blogging fit into that? So I, I would say um, writing comes to me naturally just because processing life comes to me somewhat naturally and my, bless my husband, like he gets to listen to all the processing and he's so good at it. Um, but uh, I think, I don't know, processing nature, processing where I fit into that. Um, it all is just part of the way that I view the world and then putting it onto paper is somehow makes it real. It validates the, the way that I'm processing all of that. So maybe I've always been a writer way back to, you know, dissatisfied customer letter, but am I an author? Am I processing life in a way that will benefit others? Um, I think maybe that is where I would start calling myself an author. And maybe like Josephine, like uh, the number of people that have contacted me and said it has, both me and the illustrator, and have said, you know, said that it has done that. That has made me feel more like an author. Um, I don't know. To me, there's a difference, I guess. Yes, I could see how that could make sense. Yeah. So back to your book for a moment. You mentioned at the beginning, you saw the work of artist and illustrator, Dare Harcourt, uh, in the lobby of your vet's office. So I, I wanted to know more about Dare Harcourt. Tell, tell us about her work. Uh, she is an, a local art elementary school art teacher. And... Um, she has just been phenomenal to work with. I mean, she has gotten as much joy out of this as I have. So it's sort of like we're creating this thing that even if it never got published, it was a blast for us. So uh, she's just been a delight. So talk about your past to publishing because you had to self-publish. How did you, how'd you start that process? Yeah, so um, this is, we, we talked a little bit before we started about this and this is one huge point that I left out. So as I, 
had the poem in hand and the, the illustrator uh, wheels were turning, you know, it was sort of starting to happen. I started, uh, I was doing a few different writers conferences online, which has been a benefit of 2020 that these writers conferences have been available online. Um, and I was learning more and more, but reached out to a few publishers and just said, would you be interested in publishing this book on uh, children processing the quarantine and on sort of the, hu the human heart and uh, what the quarantine has revealed about the human heart. And one editor um, at a publishing house said to me, here's the deal. I would love to publish that book, but it's going to take me 12 to 18 months. And please tell me we're going to be out of quarantine in 12 to 18 months. You need to self-publish this book because you can get it done in three to four months. She said, traditional publishing avenues just take longer. They just do. So you need to self-publish so that this will be available in time for it to be relevant. So that was honestly the first step in my making this decision. Um, I did a little more research and found Westbow Press, which is the self-publishing arm of Zondervan and Thomas Nelson, and called them up, had a few sort of phone calls with them walking through, what does this even look like? This is totally new to me. I don't, you know, I don't want it to look like I made it in the back garage on a Saturday afternoon. You know, I really want it to look legit. And um, so uh, they walked me through the process and that's really though, that, that's who I ended up using. But really that time piece was huge uh, because I knew that there would come a point where this book would be, no, who's gonna read this? You know, mm -hmm. actually yeah. though, um, it's been wonderful. It's seemingly the pandemic puppy phenomenon has hit its peak right here at Christmas, which is when people buy books. Right. Um, so for me, it's worked out really well. I mean, all, all of the, the time frames have come together beautifully. Uh, but that was the first step in my choosing to self-publish. And factoring into that is, I'm a brand new writer. I had no agent. I had no connections with publishing houses. But my goal is now I do have an agent. And she's already uh, talking to some publishing houses for me. My goal is to um, use this to draw attention to what I can and cannot do so that a publisher might say, hey, Josephine was great. What are some other ways that Josephine might tackle other issues that modern American families are facing? And what are some ways that we can write children's books for the next phases of what we're about to go through? And I have some fun ideas um, mm -hmm. for what will come next. But if you're familiar with Llama Llama or Ladybug Girl or any of these series, children's books that sort of tackle different issues using the same characters, that's what I'd, I'd like to do. And yeah. um, we're in talks with a few different houses right now, kind of working through that. Yeah. What has life been like as a mother of five during the quarantine? We, I know you, we, we published an article of yours, which was, which was really touching. Thanks. But what, what, is it, what has it been like? I mean, I've talked to many parents and, you know, what has it been like for you? You know, uh, like everybody, I mean, there have been ups and downs and I feel like, um, it's had its seasons. The beginning was just, you know, I mean, I, it's funny cause I want to, I, my brain wants to map it out. Like, uh, you know, at the beginning it was this in the middle, it was this, but no, it's been everything all the time. You know, uh, at the beginning, it was so full of joy. We were doing bike rides every day, going on family walks, waving at neighbors, you know, that we've never seen before all of these things. But then at the same time, I mean, when you're together all the time, I remember when I was growing up, my mom used to tell me every relationship need, needs room to breathe. You need some time apart so you can come back together and tell each other what you did while you were apart, you know, mm -hmm. which to some degree phones take some of that away because we're always texting and, you know, there's not a lot of space to breathe. 
But even the parent-child relationship needs space to breathe so we can come back together and be excited to see each other. And hey, what happened with you today? But there's been very little of that um, over the past year. Thankfully, my kids have been in school a lot of this school year, not, of course, not last spring, but a lot of this school year they have been in, but there's been bits and pieces where they have been out. So um, uh, it's just been um, challenging in ways that I've never been challenged before. And I wish I could tell you it's been all victories. Certainly not because we're all human. Um, But I would say, I mean, even up until 1030 last night, I've got three kids that are uh, sort of the elementary to middle school age. And we were all up playing together and we went to sleep feeling full and happy, even though to be honest, like it's raining and we're kind of bored, you know, I mean, even parents get bored, you know, Um, and so it's kind of the best and the worst all at the same time. And it's, are you going to pull from the part of your personality that writes books like how to write a dissatisfied customer letter, or are you going to pull from the part of your personality that writes Josephine in the quarantine? You know, and on different days, it's different, different parts. Yeah, yeah. Um, there has been already studies about this, the, the effect of the quarantine on children and on their development. Um, you mentioned one aspect of it that really is very important is giving your children a chance and you as a parent a chance to breathe in the relationship. Go out, explore the world, come back and tell me, tell me what you learned. Are there other aspects that you feel like your kids, that you, your kids and you as parents have suffered uh, during this period? Something that you've missed out on? Hmm. I would say, you know, I'll be honest, my kids would probably answer this differently. My inclination is that they have not missed a thing. I mean, we have worked hard to make sure that they get what they need, but they would answer that differently, especially the preteens, no doubt. Um, Mm. But I would be inclined to say just from my own perspective, they definitely missed uh, all of us. I think it all falls under the social heading. You know, we have all missed proper social relationships. My husband even pointed out uh, my son the other day, who is who is right on the teen years. He said, "You know, you haven't even been with kids your age enough for y'all to like have crushes on each other and that sort of thing." Like there are normal um, developmental interactions, and I'm not saying the crushes thing is necessarily, but you know, there are just normal interactions that should be happening. My husband and I love to go to dinners, typically with groups. Our favorite is to go with a group of six people. So with you know just six adults because we have the most dynamic conversations. I really don't enjoy going to dinner if we're only going to have boring or just surface level conversation. I would rather not go, but I will always come to dinner with conversation topics in my back pocket, ready to go. And I find that six is a great number for that. Can't do it. We've we've not done that since last, you know, March or February, whatever it was. And so um, I have missed that tremendously, just dynamic adult interaction. that it doesn't have a time limit. You know, nobody has to pick up their kids at a certain time. Nobody has to be home by a certain time. A Saturday night where you can stay as long as you need to stay to work out whatever is going on in the world. And there's been a lot going on in the world and there's been no real outlets to work that out among friends who may or may not agree with what you're saying. Right, that's that's a very good point. We're missing out on that, on that natural, you know, interaction. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, back to the book one more time. Um, tell us, tell us a little bit about what the story is about. You know, Josephine the Quarantine. Uh, I love the the whole idea of it. You know, moving from essentially colorless to mm -hmm. full of color. Mm -hmm. um, but in a nutshell, what is what? Without giving away any 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 you know any endings, let's say, mm -hmm. um, what is it generally about? Yes. Okay. Um, well, it is about Josephine. At the beginning, she begs her mom for a dog, and this is somewhat autobiographical, but uh, my children were really wanting a dog. And the mom comes up with all the typical mom excuses. You know, they shed, they're a lot to take care of. They, you know, just all the mom excuses, all the reasons, kid, you don't get it. Dogs are a bigger responsibility than you could ever dream of, you know. Uh, then the pandemic hits and it's a world of a virus it hits the, the entire world. And, um, and I can show you a page, but just for the sake of contrast, so that you can see, I thought the illustrator did a fantastic job of capturing the heaviness and darkness. You can see that. So over here yeah. is sort of a city without life. And then over here is the whole world and it's just sad and dark. And um, the mom has to tell Josephine that a virus has come and now it's worldwide and some are just sick, but others have died. So the heaviness of that is addressed in the book. Um, but then what happens is mom goes out for a jog just to get outside. And she notices that there are lots of families around town that have puppies and that puppies seem to be breathing some life into this dark situation. And she starts contemplating, you know, what is going on out there? And um, as this page is a good example of wherever there's a puppy, that puppy is in full color and little bits of the family have some of that color as well. Look at that. And, yeah. then, um, and then as she really processes it, she realizes there is something that people are looking for in dogs that reveals something of God's character. So this is sort of the answer page. And what it says is quarantine makes us all feel alone, but God is still here and he hears every groan. He wants, us, he wants you to see you are loved, you are known. That is the reason he came. So this answers that dark world page. And then um, mom processes that and kind of, this is really probably one of my favorite illustrations. Josephine's still colorless, but she's at checking out, a, checking out a bunch of dogs. Anyway, I will not tell you how it ends, but um, that sort of gives you the trajectory of the book. And yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but. Yeah, totally does. Yeah. Addressing the reality at the beginning is so important for kids they're hearing all kinds of crazy things, right? Mm -hmm. um, and addressing the reality at the beginning, I think is, is really, really something. Um, mm -hmm. I love the illustrations there. Um, as you said, bringing your, your thoughts and your words to life um, in such a way. I find that to be just so, so important uh, with, with kids. Uh, uh, something you wrote in your piece um, with regard to humility uh, okay. and that you don't know everything and that you we're all in this together you know kind of like um, kind of like it, it's it's okay it, it's the, the world we live in is is is, is not settled right now and it's mm -hmm. but we're, we're we're in it together and mm -hmm. I'm here for you just as you're here for me you know mm -hmm. type of thing so anyway I, I find 
I find it really something that you, you've, you've hit on that at the beginning, addressing the darkness. I think that's really important. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, one thing I've learned, um, one thing it seems to me that through these children, children's writing conferences that I've learned, a lot of publishers are looking, which I didn't know this when I wrote this, but a lot of publishers are looking for books where the children know something the adults don't. And in this story, that does kind of happen. And I think it does happen sometimes in real life um, that children can clue us into things. So there came a point in this story where mom realized Josephine was already onto the truth in a way that mom had not yet come to. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, I don't know, I just, I, I didn't, <clears throat> didn't actually intend for it to be that way. But one thing I have found very useful this year in parenting that I probably knew somewhere in my head before, but had not fleshed it out uh, really in my family was being willing to say that I, and, and quarantine forces you to say this. I've never done this before. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what we're doing here. We're all figuring this out. And you know, sometimes you say that in this like patient, beautiful way. And sometimes you're like, I don't know, but like, you know, none of us, this is all new. And it, it does sort of, it's, um, it is a great equalizer in some ways that your children are kind of, it, it does something to the parent child relationship when you're walking through something that is new to everyone. Um, it does, there's no, we're all gaining wisdom. However, I'm able to draw upon decades of wisdom that they don't have. So it comes to me more easily and more quickly. And I can help them in that way. But sometimes they see things that I don't see, like in this book, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know, it, in tandem, it all works together nicely. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a wonderful book. Um, Thank you. And I, I can't say I've seen the whole thing yet because I haven't, but um, what you've shown me today is really sweet. Uh, it's available where? Where can we get it right now? Yes, I would recommend, you can get it through my website, which is candaceeccles.com. Uh, but locally, I'm, I'm great. I'm thrilled for people to shop locally and, and get it at some of these local stores. So I have a list here. I'm not going to read uh, it's, it's a very long list. So many kind of people have been willing to, to take it on for me, but I'll, I'll run through them pretty quickly. Botanic Garden has a new, a new gift shop. They have it social, the independent press, independent Presbyterian church bookstore and the second Presbyterian church bookstore, both have it. The women's exchange, Pickering Boxwood, novel, Mrs. Post, Arrow Creative on Broad, um, More Than Words, Terry Hanna, both of those are out in Germantown, Saddle Creek area. And then Truffle Pig and Three Dog Bakery are in Collierville. And then we have two Oxford uh, books, bookstores, or two Oxford stores. Square Books Junior is carrying it and Bells and Bows in Oxford are carrying it. So um, I, I feel like I may have left one or two out there, but regardless, I'm very grateful. You can find it all over town. And then it's on Amazon as well. And it's on Amazon as well. Good, good, very good. Well, Candace Eccles, it's, it's great to have you on the show. Thank um, you very much for having yeah. me. And um, it's a wonderful book. Uh, I recommend you parents out there go out and find it um, or order it. Um, but again, thank you for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been such a fun journey and I'm really thankful. Your writing workshop was fabulous for me. It was a great, um, I mean, I still go back to some of the things that, that I learned there constantly. And so I'm just, I'm thankful for all the opportunities that Storyboard has given me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's very nice. Thank you. And we're equally grateful for the contributions you've, you've brought to, to Storyboard, the publication, and also, of course, to the South. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. 
You have been listening to Storyboard 30 on WYPL and on podcast at storyboardmemphis.org. Thanks again to WYPL and the Memphis Public Libraries for their ongoing support. Thanks to producers Vance Durbin and to Stephen Ussery for their help and, and support all year long. And to broadcast manager Tommy Warren, thank you. And to you listeners and supporters of the library. This has been your host, Mark Fleischer, saying goodbye once and for all to 2020 and finally welcoming in 2021. Memphis, let's make it a great year and see y'all on the flip side. Mm-hmm.